Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today we're going to be talking about the titillating world of minimum wage policy. Are you excited? I know I am. Now, minimum wage is one of those issues like immigration that's always there. It never really goes away. Countries like the US and Canada have had minimum wage laws on the books for quite a while now. And as long as those have existed, there have been people out there saying, no, the minimum wage needs to be higher. And there have also been people out there saying, no, should probably stay the same, maybe even go away entirely. That's not so much of a popular argument right now, but still, for decades and across multiple countries, there's been a conversation about whether or not to raise the minimum wage. And in the US, at least, the debate over minimum wage is being pushed back into the spotlight since a number of prominent left-wing political figures are now using their platforms to advocate for raising it. For example, homegirl AOC recently tweeted that croissants at LaGuardia are going for $7 a piece, shocked emoji. Yet some people think getting a whole hour of personal dedicated human labor for $15 is too expensive? Question mark, question mark. To which she added to, after getting a healthy amount of criticism, including from yours truly, GOP taking every tweet so earnestly, making my point for me. It's not an argument against the price of a croissant, it's about the value of human worth. But I guess that idea is foreign to them since their policies treat people as disposable anyway. And recently, Kamala Harris, who hopes to become the Democratic presidential candidate in 2020, tweeted, As president, I will raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour and make sure it's a living wage. It's unconscionable that in 99% of the counties in America, a minimum wage worker working full-time still cannot afford the market rate for a one-bedroom apartment. I think it's important to get a better picture of what exactly minimum wage looks like in the United States. The current federal minimum wage is $7.25 per hour, a wage that I and I'm sure many of you have at one point worked for. But state minimum wage laws do vary from place to place. For example, as of 2019, a $10.10 .10 minimum wage is in effect in states like Hawaii, Rhode Island, and Connecticut, and a state-mandated minimum wage can even be as high as $11, like in California and Massachusetts. Some other facts about minimum wage that I think are important to know are that according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics as of 2017, 58.3% of all wage and salary workers in the United States were paid by the hour. And of those hourly workers, about 2.3% of people were being paid at or below the federal minimum wage. Essentially, of all the people who are working in the United States, about 1.3% of them are working at or below the federal minimum. And I know that number may seem really surprisingly low, but keep in mind that many states do have their own minimum wage laws that are higher than the federal minimum. And some facts about minimum wage workers is that they predictably tend to be quite young. According to the BLS, quote, although workers under age 25 represented only about one-fifth of hourly paid workers, they made up about half of those paid the federal minimum wage or less. Regarding education, quote, among hourly paid workers age 16 and older, about 4% of those without a high school diploma earned the federal minimum wage or less compared with about 2% of those who had a high school diploma, about 2% of those with some college or an associate degree, and about 1% of college graduates. So basically, I think the most important takeaways there are that minimum wage workers tend to be on the younger side and with less formal education. And before we go any further, I would like a quick minute of your time to talk about today's sponsor, the film Unplanned. Unplanned deals with the very important issue of abortion. It tells the story of Abby 
Johnson, who is a woman that was so pro-choice, not only did she have two abortions herself, but she also rose to become the director of a Planned Parenthood clinic. She was so committed to abortion advocacy that not even her own mother or husband could convince her to see any differently, but that all changed when one day she was called in to assist with an abortion, and what she witnessed changed her life forever. Unplanned is special in that it deals with the abortion industry from an insider's perspective, but the film has been met with some controversy after the MPAA gave it an R rating. A lot of people believe that rating had nothing to do with the film's content, but rather was a way to try and dissuade Christian viewers from going to go see it because it is rated R. Additionally, that rating also makes it a lot harder for young people to see this movie, which is so frustrating because young people are exactly the people who need to see this to learn more about the realities of abortion. The film is in theaters right now, and if you'd like to know more, you can head over to unplannedfilm.com. That is unplannedfilm.com. And something I want to point out here is that because the federal minimum wage is currently $7.25 per hour, raising it to $15 per hour, like people like AOC and Kamala Harris are recommending, would, for some businesses, more than double their costs for unskilled labor. And whether you're in favor of raising the minimum wage or not, you have to admit more than doubling it is a pretty big increase. And frankly, to me at least, having a federal minimum wage at all just doesn't make a lot of sense since labor markets and costs of living vary so much from state to state. $15 per hour in California is not the same thing as $15 per hour in Wyoming. Like, people, people realize that, right? I mean, I'm not the only one. But anyway, going back to the tweets from Kamala Harris and AOC, I've noticed that people who argue for a higher minimum wage usually say one of two things. Number one, that the minimum wage is about the value of, of humans and, and your time, just, you know, what you're worth. And number two, and I think more rationally, at least in my opinion, that people who work minimum wage should be able to afford at least a minimum standard of living. To the first point, and I'm talking to you, Miss Ocasio-Cortez, the minimum wage is not about the value of humans or our worth. It's about the value of labor. Very different concept. You can't buy humans. Uh, that's, that's very illegal. And when someone works for minimum wage for an employer, the employer isn't buying them or assessing value to their, their worth. They're merely assessing value to their labor, their services, what they can produce for that employer. All humans have immeasurable moral and spiritual worth, don't get me wrong, but when it comes to labor, no, not all labor is created equal and some labor is more valuable in terms of a monetary sense than others. And number two, and this is speaking to Kamala Harris's point, you cannot determine the financial value of someone's labor based on what their personal needs are. Specifically, Harris alludes to the fact that she believes that someone working full-time on minimum wage should be able to afford a one-bedroom apartment for themselves. But the problem with that is that when you go to your employer and you're negotiating your salary, your employer isn't thinking, all right, so Laura needs to be able to afford internet because she wants to stream Dr. Phil and she doesn't have cable. She needs to afford her phone plan with data because she's on Twitter all the time. Plus, she needs to be able to afford food for jelly bean, the expensive kind, not the cheap kind, because, you know, there's a lot of filler in that. And we need jelly bean to be happy and live a long, fruitful life. Therefore, I think I'll give her around this much and that should be enough for all her needs. That's not how employers determine how much to pay you. Nor should it be. If you're an employer who does salaries and payroll like that, you will likely very quickly go out of business. You see, running a business is all about balancing costs with revenue. And if you have an asset, some commodity that actually costs more money than it brings into your business, then that's not an asset or a commodity that you want to have. 
you're probably going to cut that. I know it may feel good to say that everybody should be getting raises because of self-worth and humanity, but the truth is if we want labor laws that make economic sense, then we need to start looking at labor as a commodity, not as some feel-good way to get people money regardless of how much they do or do not produce. And this brings us to the law of supply and demand, which I know if you've ever taken economics is a super basic principle, but I feel like it needs to be mentioned, especially in regard to minimum wage, because either people don't know about it or we're just not thinking about it enough. According to Investopedia, quote, supply and demand is perhaps one of the most fundamental concepts of economics and it is the backbone of a market economy. And as the law of demand states, if all other factors remain equal, the higher the price of a good, the less people will demand that good. And since demand goes down as price increases, if you were to plot the demand of a certain product or service on a graph, it would slope downward, as you can see here. And conversely, we have the law of supply, which demonstrates the quantities that will be sold at a certain price. But unlike the law of demand, the supply relationship shows an upward slope. This means that the higher the price, the higher the quantity supplied. So with that information in mind, let's plot a chart for the supply and demand of, ooh, I don't know, unskilled labor. On the y-axis would be the price for an hour of unskilled labor. On the x-axis for quantity would be the number of hours worked. As you can see, if the cost of an hour of unskilled labor was, let's say, $5, there would be a ton of demand. For just $5 an hour, a lot of companies would want hours worked. But conversely, if labor were just $5 an hour, not a lot of people would be willing to work that so supply would be low. But if the price of unskilled labor were like $20, heck yeah, a lot of people would be willing to work hours for $20. But not a lot of companies or employers would be looking to hire, so demand would be low. The point where supply and demand meet is called equilibrium. And that's the point where labor would be at such a cost per hour that the amount of hours worked willing to be supplied would equal the amount of hours worked being bought. And I know this is all kind of boring to take in, but trust me, it's important because what minimum wage laws do is that they essentially throw labor markets out of equilibrium by installing price floors. And to explain that concept, here's a clip from someone else because I'm guessing you guys are kind of getting tired of hearing my voice by now. We're going to pass a law, minimum wage, that says any employer has to pay at least, at least $7 an hour. Its minimum price is higher than the actual clearing price. It's going to distort the market. So our price floor is right over here, $7. So what's going to happen here? Well, if you look at the demand side of things, the employers are going to say, wow, if I have to pay $7 an hour now, I can only afford 21 million hours of labor. If you look at the workers, they're going to, be, they're going to say, gee, if I, can, if I can make $7 an hour, more people are going to be willing to work. The quantity supplied of labor in terms of hours will increase. And so at $7 an hour, people will be willing to supply that much labor. But what's going to happen What's going to happen in this situation right over here? Well, in this situation, you have all of these people who want to work, but there's only demand for this much work. So this is right here. This is going to be an oversupply of labor. Excess supply is never a good thing, but it's especially bad when we're talking about the labor market because in that case, excess supply means unemployed people. Increases in the minimum wage do cause unemployment for people who work minimum wage jobs, but as you can see from the supply and demand curve, increasing the minimum wage from $7.25 to let's say $8 would have less of an effect on the economy than increasing it to say $15, like AOC and Kamala Harris 
are advocating for. And I know at this point, some of you guys are gonna say, wait a second, Lauren, you're wrong. It is a total myth that raising the minimum wage increases unemployment. It's just it's so fake. It is true that in the past, some studies did find that raising the minimum wage did not affect overall employment levels. As the Globe and Mail writes, quote, for over 20 years now, many highly credible studies have found that the disemployment effects of higher minimum wages are generally very close to zero. The pioneering empirical work by Princeton economists David Card and Alan Kruger in the 1990s investigated empirical data on the impacts of real-world minimum wage increases by carefully studying the natural experiments created when one jurisdiction increased its minimum wage but others, often right across the state boundary, did not. Their results shocked the economics profession. They found almost no impact of higher minimum wages on employment and in some cases higher minimum wages were associated with more employment. See, I told you higher minimum wages don't actually affect anything, let's make it $30, screw 15, in your face capitalism. Well, to that I've got to say a couple things. Number one, like I said before, keep in mind that not all minimum wage increases are created equally. A lower minimum wage or a smaller minimum wage increase is going to have less of an impact to the economy than a giant sky-high minimum wage. And second, when we're talking about the effects of minimum wage on employment, we really are focusing more on the employment of minimum wage workers specifically. If you have a very high-skilled labor force where not that many people are even working minimum wage jobs to begin with, then a modest increase in the minimum wage will have less of an effect than it would if I don't know, 20% of your workforce was working at that wage. To examine this, let's use the real-world example of Ontario, where the minimum wage was increased in 2018. As the Globe and Mail reports last year, when the province raised the mandatory hourly rate 21% to $14 in January, businesses and their trade groups warned of employment losses. But six months later, Statistics Canada data show that has not happened. In fact, Ontario's labor market is on fire. The province added 61,000 new jobs in July, and the jobless rate fell from 5.9% to 5.4%, the lowest level since 2000, according to the StatsCan Monthly Labor Force survey released on Friday. Before you get too excited about raising the minimum wage, the first thing it's important to note is that most of the job increases in Ontario came from the public sector, as that article itself even mentions. And additionally, even though unemployment overall decreased in Ontario, among young people, i.e. the people most likely to work minimum wage jobs, it increased. A lot. According to MEI, after the minimum wage hike was implemented, the employment rate among workers between 15 and 24 years of age, which had been trending upward for quite some time, fell when the minimum wage law was adopted in November 2017. 56,100 workers aged 15 to 24 lost their jobs between the law's adoption and October 2018. Furthermore, between the law's adoption and September 2018, there has been a 5.6% increase in the price of meals in restaurants, a sector in which nearly 70% of workers earned less than 15 dollars an hour before adoption. This price increase is over three times greater than that observed in the other provinces over the same period. Such a variation is consistent with past experiments which show that restaurants quickly pass on practically all additional costs to consumers. Even as a fiscal conservative, I cannot say that a higher minimum wage would immediately destroy the economy overnight. But what I can say is that a minimum wage hike will not help people who work minimum wage because it increases their overall unemployment levels. And even for the minimum wage workers who do keep their jobs, 
prices will be more expensive for them. You see, when it comes to commodities like labor, there's this concept of elasticity, which as Investopedia describes, is the degree to which demand or supply reacts to a change in price. A good or service is considered highly elastic if even a slight change in price leads to a sharp change in the quantity demanded or supplied. On the other hand, an inelastic good or service is one in which large changes in price produce only modest changes in the quantity demanded or supplied, if any at all. These goods tend to be things that are more of a necessity to the consumer in his or her daily life, such as gasoline. In the past, and even as recent as let's say 10 years ago, demand for labor was pretty inelastic, meaning that governments could pass higher minimum wages and ultimately businesses would still have to hire people to work for them because there was no substitute for human labor. But thanks to automation, that's just no longer the case anymore. After a certain point, it's just cheaper for companies to invest in automation rather than pay high minimum wages. And I know that sucks to hear, especially if you're someone who does rely on minimum wage work, but that's just the reality of the 21st century and there's really no going back. With that being said though, there are still some things that we can do to help those of us who are in economically vulnerable positions. Namely, stop or severely reduce low-skilled immigration. Yeah. Remember how I said that we need to think of labor as a commodity? Well, immigrants are essentially labor coming into your workforce. The U.S. already has an excess of unskilled workers. Unskilled workers are the group most likely to be unemployed currently. Inviting even more unskilled or low-skilled people into the country just makes finding those jobs even harder and it also drives down those wages. And don't get me wrong, cheap immigrant labor does somewhat lower costs for the rest of us, but frankly, at what price? Are the savings in the service industry really worth it? if now your country has to support a bunch of people who are receiving welfare benefits because they can't find jobs? In my opinion, the answer is no. But that brings us to another thing that we can do to help people who are currently working minimum wage jobs, and that's to encourage education. Jobs that require some sort of degree or specialized training like a trade school are much less likely to be automated right now than, for example, a job in the fast food service industry. If we want to help those who are economically vulnerable right now, then one of the best things we can do is equip them with skills to make them competitive in the job market. But then, unfortunately, that does of course bring us to the issue of what to do with the people who, even with available resources just don't have the capacity to be competitive in a skilled job market. People have different abilities. IQ is a very real factor. So what do we do with the people who just cannot become economically productive? Some people will say that's where charity needs to step in and others will bring up the idea of UBI. But all of that is an issue for another time. Seriously though, let me know if you guys would like to see another video about UBI because I would be totally down to make that if you're interested. But in any case, I would love to know what do you guys think about the minimum wage? Do you think we should leave it as is, maybe raise it, lower it, or perhaps even abolish it entirely? And is there anything else that you think we should be doing to help people who are working these minimum wage jobs? As always, I would love to know your thoughts, but that's it for me for now. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and I'll see you next time.